this is Kyle Blakely, and you're listening to COS 23, The Mayor's Race. On last week's episode, we took a look at kind of where the votes were the morning after Election Day. That episode, we recorded around 9.30 the next morning. At that time, there were still about 15,000 votes still to be counted. And so I just wanted to spend a little bit of time going over where the count is right now. I think there's still, I don't know, a few hundred votes at most out there from out-of-town voters, people correcting their ballots that maybe didn't sign it or some other issue, but they had the opportunity to correct it. So they're still collecting those. But right now, there's about 109,638 votes cast in the election, which is a 35.2% turnout. Still pretty low. Again, in the first strong mayor's race back in 2011, uh, the voter turnout was well over 50%. Ever since then, it's dropped off significantly every four years. Uh, So the 35% is somewhat around what we were predicting for the election. I think we were speculating about 105,000. So it was actually uh, a little bit more than that. The other interesting thing uh, I took a look at, 53,000 of the votes, a little over 53,000, were turned in the last two days, the day before Election Day and on Election Day. So about 48.5% of the votes came in in the last two days. This mirrors a trend we've seen since 2016, especially 2020, from the federal elections, the Trump campaign questioning the validity of elections. What we've seen with mail-in ballots is more people are holding their ballots till the last couple of days, whether they don't trust the mail system or what the exact issue is. But it used to be that about a third of the votes would come in the last two days. And now consistently, it's right around half of the votes are coming in the last two days. So it does tend to change the strategy for campaigns, holding a little bit more money back for that last week uh, than maybe they had in the past. So out of the 109,638 votes, about 1,000 of those didn't even bother to vote in the mayoral race. So in the mayoral race, there was 108,659 ballots turned in. And really, the positions within uh, the candidates didn't change. Uh, almost from the first results that came out a little after 7 on election night through every update since then, um, the rank order has not changed hardly at all, and the percentages have changed slightly. So Yimmy Mobilati still in first place with 29.8% of the vote, so a little over 32,000 votes. Wayne Williams in second with 19.2%, almost 21,000 votes. And then Sally Clark was in third, about 1,500 votes behind Wayne uh, with 17.8% of the vote. And then from there, it went down. Daryl Glenn, Lojinos Gonzalez, Tig Tigan, on down. The interesting thing, there was some speculation that Sally might ask for a recount, even though it was outside the 0.5% threshold that would trigger an automatic recount. She could pay for one. And I think she made some inquiries into that, according to news stories. Haven't heard anything new on that other than I have a source that said they think it's less likely that she would be doing that now. In looking at 
the way this shook out, then the top two vote getters had just about 49% of the vote. That means 51% of the votes are out there to be allocated between those two in the runoff. Then I'm sure the campaigns are out there looking at where they might be able to pick up votes. Again, Sally had 19,000 votes. Where do those people move with Sally not being in the runoff? And what percentage of those might go to Yemi? What percentage might go to Wayne? And then you start to look at ideology a little bit. And again, it's a nonpartisan race, but you start to look at the political spectrum from liberal to conservative and where the candidates fall along that line and then where the other candidates fall along that line and where their votes might go. But the interesting one, as we talked about last week, Daryl Glenn, Lojinos Gonzalez, Tig Tigan, and Andrew Dalby got about 25% of the vote collectively, quite a bit higher than what we had estimated ahead of time. One out of every four votes went to those candidates, and they are all seen as being more to the right of the political spectrum. So again, where do those 25% or almost you know 27,000 votes go? Uh, it remains to be seen, but I'm sure both candidates are out there speculating on that right now. And then you've got below them, probably eighth place down into 12th place, still about 6,000 votes uh, sitting out there, which is not an insignificant number uh, when you're looking at a two-person race and all you have to get is 50% plus one vote in order to win. So again, I'm sure the campaigns are out there trying to analyze where they might be able to pick up votes. Uh, And with that, I wanted to look a little bit at kind of where the votes came in from across the city. The city clerk's office does a great job of showing total votes, but then also uh, broken down by the six city council districts where the votes came in. And there's kind of some interesting statistics here. District 1, which is in the northwest part of Colorado Springs, had 24,226 votes. So 22% of all the votes cast were from that one council district. At the other end of the spectrum, Council District 4, which is the southeast part of town, only had 7,326 votes. So almost 17,000 votes less in that district than the top district. So again, why is that? What All the other districts, even the second lowest district, District 6, the northeast part, had 10,000 votes more than District 4. So there's a a real disparity there. And is that an opportunity for a candidate to pick up some votes in the runoff? It's a tough task to go out and try and generate votes from people who didn't vote the first time uh, in the second one. But there's a significant number of votes sitting there that if the ability to go out and, and recruit those or campaign to those and collect those... Uh, was strong, again, you're talking about what it could end up being a few hundred votes or a few thousand votes difference between the candidates by the time at the end of the runoff. So you start to look at where can you get votes from basically anywhere, from the other candidates, from the districts, uh, where can you pick up votes along the way? So we'll be talking about that in future episodes a little bit more. We're in the process right now of trying to get both finalists back into the studio for a second interview. I'm hoping to have that next week. And then other episodes, uh, again, we're going to keep looking at the issues, keep looking at the candidates, 
the money. Uh, again, that'll be important to see what the fundraising looks like here in the runoff and what kind of uh, money each candidate's going to have to work with, uh, whether or not any of the independent expenditures pop up again this time will be kind of interesting to see. And so, again, we're going to keep looking at all of that up and uh, up until the runoff on May 16th. In the meantime, today, what we're going to do is, after this sh- short update, we're going to include Yemi and Wayne's original interviews on this podcast in this episode. So it's easy to go back and listen to both of the candidates. We asked them very similar questions in the first round. So you can be able to kind of compare their answers a little bit. And then next week, like I said, hopefully we'll have them back in here for some new interviews, uh, be able to ask them some new questions, find out what they've learned on the campaign trail over the last few months and what they see coming ahead over the last few weeks of the runoff. So thanks again for listening. Again, both their episodes will be after this, so it's going to make for a pretty long episode, but hopefully it's a little bit more convenient. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with hopefully the candidate interviews. Yumi, thanks for being here today. This is great. I'm glad you're able to join us. Kyle, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me, and thank you for telling my story. Yeah. I'm always interested in candidates who are running for the first time and the motivation <laughs> and why you why you'd want to put yourself through no, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> No, that's a fair question. <laughs> but, but tell me kind of what motivated you to run? Why do you want to hmm. run for mayor or, or why do you want to be mayor? And maybe a little bit about why you think you're the person people should I'm the support person. for this. Uh, a friend once told me, I'm not sure I wish this on my worst enemy, <laughs> politics. Um, and it's not just me, but it's my wife, my incredible wife, who's an ICU nurse, a nursing educator, and we are parents of three young kids, nine, five, and three, and the struggle is real. <laughs> um, so we're all in uh, along for the ride. I, um, so why? 26, 27 years ago, I moved to this great land called the United States of America. About 12 years ago, I moved to this great city called Colorado Springs. I um probably one of the few candidates on stage that has been profoundly affected by the American dream. This land has given me opportunity um, to not only start a business, but to be a leader, find community, grow a family, and this city in particular. And being the the reformer at heart, being the leader, being a public leader. Um, so when I when this season started, most people were in surprise, including my whole community in Indiana, where I, I initially came in when I first moved to the U.S. Everybody just said it's about time. And so, um, yeah, it just seemed to make sense for me to give back to the land and the city that has given so much to me and that has helped make me. So, I, Kyle, I've always believed to whom much is given, much is required. Um, some, some attribute that quote to... Um, uh, our former president, uh, George Bush, um, but it really comes from the Bible. And, and I, it's me putting to use these treasures and these gifts that has been given to me for the sake of our city in this season, because our city needs great leadership. Tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah. Like, again, you just first time running for office. Right. You've started three businesses here right. in the town. And yes, everything. sir. Yeah, one of the things I'm, I'm very clear is um, I'm proud to be a political newcomer. I want to be there. I, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think our, our founding fathers intended to, that for, for politics to be a career. 
and I'm proud to disrupt that. Um, you and I were talking offline earlier, and I, I'm really proud to, for the fact that my campaign is telling a new kind of story. It's activating all kinds of people, business leaders, nonprofit leaders, everyday residents, um, moms and dads. Um, I, my, my campaign contribution comes from just about every zip code in this, in this city. And that is, I, I'm really proud of that. But what I'm not new to is city leadership. I have proven time after over and over, and, and I've shown and proven how I'm able to successfully elevate residents to economic security and, and, small, bi- and small businesses and, and residents of all types. So what I've done in this city is that I have started three, three businesses. I've been proud to be able to create jobs and also increase the vibrancy of our community. My business is credited with helping to catalyze the downtown revitalization. We started that business at a time where nobody thought it could be done, and we proved that it could be done. Another thing I have been fortunate and blessed to be able to do is co-found an organization called COS I Love You. It's a play in words. We're saying yeah. Colorado Springs, I love you. And because I love you, I give. Because I love you, I serve. We've successfully, Kyle, been able to activate over 100 churches. You realize how hard it is to activate faith traditions. Yeah. <laughs> That's hard. <laughs> but we, uh, we activated them. And this untapped resource, you know, the, one of, the group of people I call the, one of the most untapped resources of our community. And we've been successfully, being able to successfully activate them to serve the city. While we may differ in traditions and worship style, let's unite over the flourishing of our city. And I'll say one more because I have so many. But one <laughs> of the ones I'm proud of is my work in city government. For three years, successfully being able to bring this, these government factions of our community to say, let's work together to create and streamline the process so that business leaders and residents can have easier access to govern, government information. So, in, I mean, obviously throughout your career, you've had a lot of leadership positions. Yes, sir. How would you describe your leadership style? Extremely vision-oriented. I'm a visionary. I'm, I'm intellectually. I'm intellectually curious. I'm, I'm hungry. Um, there's an um, in my country of origin. There's an old proverb that says, um, "My mom taught me." Says um, the wisdom of others keep the king from being called a fool. Um, so being like able to draw upon the wisdom and the expertise of others, it's why you know, my uh, your listeners should expect that this mayor is going to be engaging the wisdom of our residents and listening and public engagement and participation, high priority of mine. And then number three, which I'm really proud of, is I am so inclusive. In fact, sometimes I use the word radical collaboration. I, I just feel like um, my table is big enough to bring diverse thought and neighborhoods to the decision-making table. So residents can expect that their neighborhoods will be represented at the seat of my table and the decisions that impact that community. So those three things, you know, vision, intellectual careers, curious and, and collaboration will guide my leadership in the mayor's office. That's great. So in your, throughout your career, obviously, whether it's on business or some of the things you've volunteered for, things like that, what's an accomplishment or something that you're most proud of? Mm. I just talked about one of them. Uh, that's a hard one to do because there's so many. And one of the things I've learned, Kyle, is I, 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 I really suck at touting my own 
successes. I do. My my debate prep team is coaching me to say, when you answer a question, talk about how much of a badass you were when you did this. Connect it to. And because I'm so much about the people, I'm easy to say, well, Kyle was part of that project. Yeah. And I want to give credit to others, the whole we before me. Yep. Some, some of that is le- leadership, some of that is cultural, but it is what it is. So I'm getting better. So I'm going to brag about my bra- brag about myself. Um, and these things I've already really commented on. And yeah. one of them is being successfully being able to leverage my leadership to bring diverse faith traditions to the table to say, let us serve our city together. There's a, there's a Latin phrase called communitas. It's the Latin derivative of the word community. Communitas is community that comes out of a shared mission. So Kyle, you and I can try to be friends and try to force that friendship and sense of belonging, or we could go on mission together serve, do something, and then realize, and then the byproduct of that is friendship and unity. And that's what we've been, so we've killed two birds with a stone. Bring a group of people that don't always hang out together and do it in the name of serving our city. So we've impacted schools. Um, we have the largest um, volunteer movement in the city where we, on, on, on City Serve Day, every fall, we deploy 4,000 people to wow. serve in over 200 locations, um, parks and, 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 and schools and social services. So that one is really what I'm, I'm proud of. And number two is the work of bringing these government factions together from across yeah. regional building utilities. Um, it's maddening as a resident when you want to plan an event or when you want to start a business. And you have to be the expert at figuring out how, how to navigate each government entity or like the work I've done with an incredible group of 20 leaders called the Colorado Springs um, for Small Business Advancement Team. We've been able to create this platform called Permit Partner coming out any day from now, and it unites all the government permit information into one seamless platform. So the business leader or resident in their PJs could go on the website and say, okay, I want to start an event in my neighborhood, and government, we've done the work for you as opposed to the other way around. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Really streamlined the process. I and like there that. I am, bragging about myself. No, that's I'm getting of, better. That's part of what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I think you were one of the first people to announce, as you've been studying things, and obviously you work for the city, right now, what are your three top issues that you want to focus on in the community or that you think are the most important in the community right now? Uh, that's a great question. And I just want to make a quick correction. I was actually the fourth to announce, um, which is a lot of really cool connections. By the way, I was, I was number four, <laughs> uh, announced on April 4th in 2022. <laughs> I am number four on the ballot on the election, which is coming up on this April 4th. So, right, so if you're superstitious, yes, then... <laughs> four, 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 four. So there you have it. Um, yeah, uh, Kyle, it's also important for me to mention that the top three issues are the issues that I'm hearing from residents. Yeah. I've done probably close to 60 meet and greets across the city, which is unusual for a candidate, too. It's a whole different story. We've, we're knocking on doors, and these are consistent. So the first one is public safety as it relates to protecting our neighborhoods and keeping our families safe and preventing, a homeless, preventing and ending homelessness. Number two, as it relates to infrastructure. So this is, we're talking about bringing housing within reach for all Colorado Springs residents and ensuring our water resources for today and tomorrow. Number three, economic vitality. Um, I've talked about building a business-friendly city and creating a future-ready workforce. 
Okay. On public safety, one of the issues is a shortage of police officers that we're, you know, that we're hearing about. And yes, sir. What are some ideas that you might have around dealing with that or some of the other public safety issues? Yeah, yes, sir. I, I, I mean, public safety is in our, in our minds. I, I, a resident reached out to me. I'm going to keep her name confidential. She, back in October, her son was killed in a traffic accident. And she said, uh, what are you going to do to ensure our, uh, our city is more safe? And I couldn't respond over email. I had to call her. And with tears in my because I'm a parent of, of, of kids, and that broke my heart. I mean, they're showing homicides where um, 54 uh, homicides, um, oh, just in one year, last year. Um, crime has risen 30% between 2015 and 2022. So it's something um, we got to get ahead of. And, yes, police shortage is one of them. And um, addressing our shortages with more training academies and I want to be at the. I want to be the lead recruiter of our future officers to include minorities and women. So um, this is not just going to be a responsibility of one of my team members. As mayor, I will be at the helm because the things that are really important and where the gaps are. I believe the mayor and the leader has to be very engaged in that. So that's number one. Yeah. Number two, it's not enough to talk about recruiting. We have to close the back door. We have early retirement, and we're having a hard time with retention. So this can be this endless cycle of recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. But um, the profession of uh, policing is under so much pressure and stress. The, um, the challenges out of Memphis and Minneapolis have, have brought about better policing. And in my ride-alongs with our law enforcement officers, I've learned many of them are saying, we actually love some of the things that it's resulted in. For example, body cams. We want body camera, not just for you, the resident, but also for ourselves. You bet. So, yes, it's brought about better policing. And it's created so, so much undue stress and pressure that is political and social and cultural. And that is what's making this job so hard to do and people want to leave. So it's my intent to boost morale. And we're going to boost morale within the department and close that back door through leadership development work-life balance, and recognition for exemplary um, performance. We have to tell the good stories, not just the challenging stories. And that's really important to me as mayor. Good. You also talked about homelessness. Yes, sir. And I've lived here for 31 years. It has been a topic for 31 years since I've lived here. And, you know, we've seen numbers climb. Um, You know, 25 years ago, I worked on a, a potential project here in town to address it that didn't go forward. But again... It's constant. I mean, when Mayor Bach was first in office, that was one of his initiatives that that actually his wife kind of took the helm of and everything. And we always seem to kind of be dealing with it and not necessarily getting over the hump. Right. What are some things we might be able to do to help with that situation? Right. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And a strong emphasis on mental health um, care. The Colorado Coalition for Homelessness... um, two years ago, mentioned that 70, 70% of all homeless, homeless uh, of our homeless residents in the state of Colorado is uh, connected to mental health challenges. Wow. And under mental health, we have substance abuse. Uh, let me tell you, I have seen this firsthand with my ride along with the fire department and the police department. And that goes back to our previous statement is 
um, better t- better tools and training for our uh, first responders because it's a new type of public safety. Yeah. It's dealing with our homeless residents and transient population, and I'm watching our men and women have to figure out how to care for our residents that are dealing with mental health challenges. So we have to make sure that has, to me, that is at the very forefront of my mind as mayor. So we will continue partnerships with many of our local providers. I'm on the board of Springs Rescue Mission. I have witnessed what it looks like to have public-private partnership. Um, Our current mayor has done that well. Now here's what I'm going to do differently. I want to take that to the next level. I there will be strings attached to any kind of financial contribution, and that those strings would be organizations that are providing mental health care. That is a must because we know, I mean, that type of care as we're trying to move people out of poverty or homelessness back to housing and and, and jobs. Mental health care has got to be really important. Number two, um, increasing street outreach. With the homeless outreach team, it's going to be really important. Where We've had moments where it, it's working more than others. And one of the things I've seen with The Place, and they provide um, um, homeless um, services to, for youth, um, to increase street outreach in a way that is done with compassion and to guide our homeless residents from street to care. Because it's not enough to keep having those services if nobody's there to take advantage of them. So we got to move that. And then number three, the final... Uh, we got some incredible, innovative programs out of the fire department, the public health, uh, the public and community health division. And I intend to make those permanent in the city general fund. They're working. They're saving us money. They address the frequent users of the 911 system. And these homeless providers are trained in mental and behavioral health crisis and intervention and care. There's one issue on the ballot this year, and that's the extension of the trails and open space tax. Yes, sir. Are you in favor of that? Or Absolute in favor. Good. I have paid attention to it. I've met with Susan Davey. I, I know the work of the, the Parks and Rec, and Rec Department, and we need, I mean, it doesn't really cost us much right now just yeah. because it's, we're currently, it's a very small amount of money. It's a penny on, on $10, really, is really what it's, it's a cost to residents. And I think that comes to about $14 a year for each household. Uh, we have to care for our trails and open spaces. It's it's what brought most of us here, yeah. the Purple Mountain Majesties. It's, it's really what inspired General Palmer, the founder of our city, to create a city, and might I add, it was so impractical. It was not practical because there was no water access or anything, but it was the beauty of our trails and open system that really, that this city was birthed and what brought many of us here. And we have to find a way to protect and to care for it. And the top ballot issue is a fantastic way to do that. And and that, obviously, the like you said, it's a small tax. It doesn't provide all the funding that the Parks Department needs. It gets significant funding from the general fund. Right. But back uh, before the big recession, parks was about 8.4% of our budget. Right. Right now, it's about 5.9% right. of the budget. Now, again, total dollars have increased right. a lot. So right. 5.9% is a, you know, in actual dollars right. is higher. Relative, yeah. But would you be supportive of 
trying to get parks back up to closer to that eight and a half percent. I mean, it would add about an additional eleven million right. a year right. into the parks department. Would you be supportive in of that? Prin- yeah, Kyle, it's a great question. In principle, yes, but in, in practice, I don't know, because one of the things on the listener, our listeners have to understand is, um, for relatively speaking, for a city our size, we have a very tiny budget. We're looking at $420 million in our general funds to pay for a plethora of services. Yeah. And so it's why things like TOPS, it's why things like the PPRTA, we have to find creative ways to pay for the things that we need. Now, I'm not suggesting any kind of tax increase or anything like that. I mean, yeah. people, I mean, inflation, the economy, I mean, people don't have as, people don't have as much money. Yeah. But... The reason why I'm saying I'm open to the idea is, do I want to care for our, our trails and open space? Absolutely. But I also have to balance that need with the fact that we still can't take care of our own potholes. Yeah. We have a tax measure that's going to sunset in 2025 that all of a sudden we're back to potholes. And I have to balance that with, you know, east, east to west connectivity and, and roadways. And I have to balance that with um, my friends that live in Benny Lewis um, Ranch and who are who are pressed for much-needed infrastructure. And I have to balance that with my wife keeps saying, we need to figure out how to get a loop around the city to go from east to west. So you get what I'm saying is yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I have to look at, and this is where my business imagination plays into, okay, let's look at our budget. Where, can, where else can we cut the fat? Where do we need to make priorities right now? And what, what are those things that we need to prioritize over the others? So some hard decisions your mayor has to make. Any any leader that comes to your show and says, I'll give you everything you need, be run. <laughs> run. <laughs> we talked about this earlier a little bit before we started recording, but I want to go back to it. The new water rule that yes, the sir. city's considering right now, mm-hmm. the uh, 128% requirement to cover all current businesses and citizens and any property that might want to come in before anything can be annexed. What's your take on that issue? How do you feel about it? Are you supportive of it? Would you like to see it reconsidered in some way? Absolutely. I, it's, a, it's a very hot topic these days yeah. um, because that topic is really tied to, um, it's not in isolation. When we talk about water, the water ordinance, we're talking about growth. I'm knocking on doors on a weekend, and um, if I got money for every time a resident said, I, I'm, I'm really concerned about our growth. Very important um, conversation to have. Now, as mayor, I have to balance the fact that the Colorado River, it is drying up. We know it has some vulnerabilities. Um, we have to fully understand the extent of those vulnerabilities, and that's where some of the argument is today. I have to balance the fact that do we have enough water for today? Um, and do we have enough water for our future housing? Kyle, we are still about 12,000 units short of the needed housing. And I'm, I have great concerns about my own kids' abil- ability to live in this city. Yeah. Um, supply is low, demand is high. Prices are going up. So how do we balance those two growth needs? Um, I call it the Abraham Lincoln way. When my team hears me say that, what I'm saying is it's a third way. In Latin, it's called a tertium quid. Um, We're constantly, politics today is taking two ideas and just um, opposing ideas and just fighting with each other. 
And Abraham Lincoln is a hero of mine. We share the same birthday. Sunday is our birthday, February 12th. Um, so one a leader that I've studied and his ability to hold the union together at a time where it was almost, there was no hope. So instead of saying, do we, okay, on one hand, do we need more housing? Yes. Some of that is going to be within the city limit, limits. Some of that is going to be outside of the flagpole. Um, do, we, do we have enough water? We don't know. But the 128 is a good start. It forces a conversation to we need a starting place. That way we're not just irresponsible with our limited water infrastructure. Now, we cannot stop there. We have to take it one step further. So I'm in favor of the Water Commission that the city council has recommended the task force to look at a regional conversation and to get a full assessment of the needs and the opportunity where I would go as far as to say we're having the wrong conversation. It's about right now whose interest potentially is going to affect. I like that we're here. It's a conversation that needs to happen, but it's, we just started, Kyle. There's certainly more conversation, and I fully intend to lead that conversation as mayor. Okay. So the, the vote next week, though, could, uh, in fact, if they vote to approve the 128, right. it's in a rule. Yes. It's a good compromise. It is a good compromise. It's a, I, I felt like they did, um, and kudos to our city council members. There was a, there was a lot of um, a lot of tension around that. It's a good compromise. Right? Okay. Right. Okay. We've talked about a lot of the issues here. Is there anything kind of on your mind or that you think is important to the community that maybe we haven't touched on yet? Um, thank you again for the opportunity to have this conversation. You and I talked earlier. Uh, you had just mentioned about. Um, Yemi in this race it's so out of left field <laughs> and and Yemi and it's weird I'm talking about myself in the third person and Yemi is performing fairly well that's worth talking about um, the Gazette released an article um, two Sundays ago um, put me in the top four um, in terms of front runners um, 6035 media put me in the top three in terms of front runners and that has caught a lot of people's attention and what makes me a front runner yes it's strength of fundraising money talks in Put politics the, absolutely yeah. yeah and just in general money talks and, and people are putting you know you put your investment you where uh, uh, you spend around your values and the things are interested in so what makes people interested in in this um, candidate who started off as an immigrant became a proud American citizen and has community leadership. One, people are done with politics. I represent the pragmatic residents and leaders who are just stop with the special interest, stop with the political madness. We just need good leadership, sane, um, down to earth, and I just think there's a hunger for that. Two, people can relate. People want a leader who they can connect with and who will who understands the unique challenges they are facing. My story from being a small business owner, from being a, a dad and parent of, of young kids to my experience, you know, serving our community um, and being a community developer and a pastor, I just think people are ready for that kind of fresh leadership. And this is shown in my campaign with having over 500 unique donors 
right now. So it's that's why I mean money talks. I, I have yeah. contributions coming from just about every neighborhood and every zip code in this city, not just from one segment. So it's really worth, it's important paying attention to that. And that's the kind of campaign I'm running because that's the kind of leader the residents can expect from me. That doesn't change. Kai, one of the things I always push back when residents or, or leaders will say, well, Yemi's so new to this. Can he do the job? What is his leadership going to look like? I would say, look at our campaign. Look at the strength of my team. Um, it's just unbelievable. My ability to pull the best talent around the table to solve some of our most toughest challenges, that's what my campaign looks like, and that's what residents can uh, expect from the future of their city and their mayor in the future. Yeah, I mean, the first strong mayor this town ever elected had never been elected before. It's not uncommon in our community. What's coming up in the campaign? What would you like to share maybe with listeners about events you might be having? Uh, we we have a, we have an event tonight. I know by the time this is <laughs> no, aired. This won't be out in time to help you <laughs> I know. with that. But. Uh, but, but as the listeners are uh, listening to this, know that Thursday, February, uh, Tuesday, February 7th at FH Beer Works, <laughs> there is a beer being released tonight in my honor. And uh, that beer, it's a Mexican lager and it's called Project uh, 42. So when the campaign started about a year ago, Kyle, there was, um, um, I used to work at city government. I worked there for three years yeah. in economic development. And um, and by the way, I'm, I'm the only candidate that actually understands uh, as being one of the 2,500 people that will be leading. Um, but before I left, the the a lot of my colleagues who knew I'd be leaving the city to run, they became a phrase called hashtag Project 42. And it's a nod to me becoming the 42nd mayor of Colorado Springs. John Southers is 41. So there's been a lot of 42 um, uh, movement, including people giving $42 a month for my, um, for my campaign contribution. So that's happening. Um, we're telling 42 stories, each of them 42 seconds each, under my campaign banner of We Are Colorado Springs, because it takes all of us to make Colorado Springs into a world-class American city. And these are everyday residents and leaders who are actively working to make the city great. So we're telling their story. So my campaign is lifting up these 42 stories. So tonight is going to be this Project 42 beer, and we're excited about it. But for future events that our listeners want to engage, go to yemiformayor.com. yemiformayor.com. It tells my story. Um... It has my detailed policies, every single thing I want to accomplish in government. It even has my philosophy of government, governance, how I make decisions as a mayor. And there's an events page, and you can see all the upcoming events. Some of them are uh, private. We have many private meet and greets, but we're, we're making sure that we have some um, public ones as well. Good. And come join me as we're knocking doors on the weekend. And so I invite, uh, I invite your, your listeners to join the most exciting campaign in our city's history. I spend a fair amount of time on your website. It is a good resource for anybody that wants to learn more about you and, and what your thoughts are on the issues and Thank your you. background and everything. Come so. find out why my campaign is growing so fast and why more and more people are signing up. It truly is, Kyle, I say this with humility. It truly is humbling. Um, when I, sometimes when I look at my campaign board of directors, I, I've gone from 
wait a minute, why aren't one of you running for mayor? Why am I not supporting? And they are just ready. They're just ready to take directions from me. And I, and there are times where it's hard and tiring. I don't get to see my kiddos anymore. My wife and I had lunch today, and literally she goes, hello, stranger. <laughs> Made me so sad. You know, it's a sacrifice. Yeah. And it's, it it's sun up to sundown every day, and that would just make me start crying. But I knew what I signed up for. And the moments where it feels I'm just so tired, and I walk into a meeting, my team, my, I have 40 volunteers actively, 40 volunteer staff, not just um, volunteers helping the weekend, actively working on my campaign. And they look at me, and I see the excitement in their face. And I know it's not just that they see me. They see opportunities by way of me that not only has local implications, but national and global implications of Colorado being that shiny city on the hill of what it looks like when we're all working together. And I know that they see that in me. And instantly I move from tiredness to excitement. I move from um, just thinking, man, what did I sign up for to let's win this. Yeah. Ah, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. It was great getting a chance to meet you and, and talk to you. This is the first time we've had a chance to, I know, to talk. So it's, it's good to I, meet really you too. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle. Again, thank you for telling our stories. Wayne, thanks for being here today. It's good to see you. Kyle, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Well, so, uh, you know, as I told you, I'm doing a, a series of these episodes with uh, some of what I consider to be kind of the primary candidates uh, running for mayor. And what I'm the first question I'm asking everybody is kind of the question I often ask candidates when they're running. And that is, why are you running for mayor? And then after that, tell us a little bit about why you think you're the best person for the position. I appreciate first the opportunity to visit with you today. Uh, I'm running for mayor because this is my home. I love Colorado Springs. Uh, Holly and I made the decision to move here a little, little over 30 years ago, and uh, we have made it our home. We've gotten very involved in the community, and I've seen the differences that quality leadership can make. Uh, I've been here when we've closed Hibbard's department store and when the downtown was a ghost town. And I'm excited about the changes we've made in Colorado Springs, the economic vitality that's taking place. And uh, I've been honored to be a part of that, uh, working through the Pikes Peak RTA, working through uh, my service on the county commission and as a city councilman. And so I'm, I want to continue that going forward. Uh, John Southers has done a great job as mayor, and I want to continue that record of working together. You know, unlike D.C., which is broken, we on city council working with the mayor have passed every budget that I've been on council unanimously. And we've done it because we have worked together to address the priorities of our community. That's something that's not happening elsewhere in the nation. And that record of working together to get things done for the people of Colorado Springs is why I want to run. Uh, my top priorities include uh, crime and public safety, uh, infrastructure and transportation, and then a thriving economy. I'm happy to delve into those in more detail as we go forward. Uh, but I'm running to try to make sure we continue to make this the kind of place that all of us want to live. Uh, it has been uh, an honor to serve the people of the Pikes Peak region in a number of different positions. But I'm running 
because I want to keep making a difference and keep helping our economy and keep helping our community go forward. Great. Well, let's go ahead and actually let's jump into those three issues a little bit in a little bit more detail. So I think you started crime and public safety was the first one you talked about. Talk about that a little bit. Sure. Uh, As a member of city council, uh, I've been uh, working to address this issue in a number of different ways. Uh, We have added 62 new police officer positions, 66 firefighter positions, and built three new fire stations while I've been on city council. We've, with the consent of the voters, created a fire mitigation fund that allows us to go in and limit the effects coming out of the National Forest as it comes into our community and making sure that we're able to be proactive, not just reactive. We've adopted the first fire evacuation ordinance in Colorado Springs. Uh, We've worked with folks to help know your zone so that we can pinpoint and when I say we, I mean the city officials who actually handle those things, uh, handle evacuations and do it in an orderly fashion and help people get to safety. But I, I'm more excited about the fire mitigation because I'd rather avoid the evacuation to start with. I was yeah. evacuated during Waldo Canyon. Uh, it's not a pleasant thing. Uh, actually, I was running an election that day as the <laughs> clerk and recorder. Uh, when they came in and said, you need to leave, but all of your people need to leave too. And so we did that at about 715, 730 uh, on, uh, I think it was June 26th, if I remember that date right. Uh, but that is, those are some of the things we've done to address public safety. We've also on city council expanded the sit-lie ordinance. And one of the challenges in running a downtown business is making sure that your customers have access Uh, that it's not blocked by someone sleeping in front of a door. Uh, We have worked with the Springs Rescue Mission and General Jack Briggs and his staff there to make sure there is a place for everyone to go so that we can say you can't camp in public spaces that risk polluting the waterway or that impede people from getting into business. So it's working with all of those together. Um, One of the things we need to do in terms of public safety is continue to expand our hot teams and our alternative response teams, ways to address specific issues and occasionally specific individuals in a way that safely and compassionately, but also uh, does what needs to be done to ensure the public safety for our citizens. So those are some of the things that I've been involved with. Um, I think one of the other important things that we've done as our city grows, we want to make sure that, that existing citizens aren't asked to pay for what happens in a growing area. And so for the first time, we imposed a specific uh, public safety fee that covers fire stations and apparatus and police stations. Is that Uh, like a special district within those new areas? Not a special district. It's a general fee that covers any new development now. Okay. And so whether you are developing on the eastern edge of the city or if you were doing an infill project, you'll pay a proportionate share Uh, to make sure that growth pays its own way on these important issues. It's important as we grow as a city that we continue to address our public safety needs, both fire, police, and otherwise. Uh, One of the things we've done in an era that is harder to recruit people, uh, in part part because of uh, the challenges in the profession and in part because it's pretty easy to find a job in uh, this economy in Colorado Springs right now. 
Uh, and so we have moved to a year-round continuous academy for police so that we don't have the long waiting periods between when you get a job offer to start the academy and when the academy begins. So we've done a number of things to help address that in the public safety area. And as a member of city council, I've played a role in all of those steps, and I want to continue to do that as mayor to make sure we address the public safety needs for our community. Part of it also means working with the legislature. Uh, Some of the things that we deal with uh, come out of Denver or out of Washington, D.C., and so I think part of what you have to have in a mayor is someone who has a proven ability to work with the legislature. Uh, I did an event for our campaign. Our co-hosts included uh, the Democratic and Republican leaders of the legislature. Um, And I think that's an important element because we are not an island. Um, And so we have to be able to to work with folks at Denver and in Washington, D.C. So that's one of those areas. Uh, Happy to go into as much more detail as you want, Kyle. Well, um, let's jump into the other two. I know one of them you talked about was economic vitality. How how can the mayor help in that area? The mayor helps in a lot of ways. And, And we on city council have played a role in this as well, where we have worked to uh, help build public infrastructure that supports economic vitality. I'll go back to one of the things I helped create when I was a county commissioner, which is the Pikes Peak RTA. Um, If you look at some of our economic drivers today, those take place because the Pikes Peak RTA was able to address critical transportation infrastructure needs that affected a growing economy. So you look at the entrances to downtown. Both the Bijou entrance and the Cimarron Bridge were built by the Pikes Peak RTA. You go north to UCCS, one of our key growing uh, drivers of our economy. The Union Austin Bluffs Interchange was built by the Pikes Peak RTA. The Nevada uh, Austin Bluffs intersection was improved by the Pikes Peak RTA. When I was teaching up at UCCS, it would take me four or five light cycles to get there, and then another four or five light cycles to get out. You can't have a growing and thriving university if you can't get there. Uh, And so the Pikes Peak RTA that we helped create has made a huge difference, and it's delivered on the promises that were made, which is why the voters of this community have renewed it twice, each time with 79.5% of the vote. Um, But it's making sure that government provides the roles that it has in there, Uh, which leads to the other point, which is infrastructure. Uh, we have to make sure that we have the infrastructure for our community. That means transportation. It means parks and open space. So when I was a county commissioner and when I've been on city council, each time we've added over 1,000 acres of parks and open space to the county and now to the city. Because it's important that we address the needs of our community, not just on a road, but also (laughs) the ability to enjoy the place in which we live. We've also led in with respect to water. So on water, we adopted for the first time a specific uh, water resource fee that allows us to acquire new water rights. And then we did something I'm incredibly proud of. We have entered an agreement with the Bent County Commissioners that allows us to acquire 15,000 acre feet from Bent County. By the way, that's enough for 100,000 people. Okay. Because um, we, we use about 75,000 acre feet a year for 500,000 people. So yeah. that's 15,000 is a significant number. Uh, and we're doing it in a unique way, Kyle. We're not going through 
the old buy and dry method that used to be done before I was on Colorado Springs Utilities. Instead, we are working with farmers to upgrade the irrigation system and then buying the water that we save so that you still get the agricultural production in the, in the Arkansas Valley. Yeah. And you still get those the food that we we like that Rocky Ford melon and we like some of these things that come to our, our local grocery stores and our local markets. Um, and that part of working cooperatively together with our neighbors in the Arkansas is why we got unanimous approval from the Bent County Commissioners. We then have acquired already about 3,000 acre feet from this process. And we're perfecting those rights now. We continue to look for additional opportunities for this win-win method. We're also adopting a much more logical ordinance for, with respect to annexation in the city of Colorado Springs. Our existing ordinance that was there when I took office says we will only annex a property if there's enough water uh, for the city for, and this is a direct quote, the foreseeable future, close quote. I don't know what that means. I bet if you asked eight different people, you'd get eight different answers, and it might depend on what time in life they are as to what the foreseeable future is. had a friend who says he doesn't buy green bananas anymore. Um, But the foreseeable future in terms of water is a very vague term, and so we are replacing that at city council with a defined buffer. And this is one of the critical things to protect the citizens of our community. That buffer provides that we will take the existing water use and the existing water supply, and we'll have about a 28% buffer, looks like where it's going to wind up with coming out of council. Um, That means that if there are impacts from the Colorado River, and, and you can't you can't watch the news or be unaware of the fact that Lake Mead and Lake Powell have a lot less water in them than they used to. Mm-hmm. And as we talk about what the impacts are of our community, some folks may not be aware that 70% of the water in that glass you drink came from the Colorado River. Mm-hmm. And so we absolutely have to be prepared for risks of possible reductions in our water supply on the Colorado. We also have to be prepared to have a runway for a growth development, other things that may happen. And so that's how we wound up with a buffer of 28%, which is at least defined as opposed to uh, kind of the old school way of doing things, which is, you know, we look at it and we, if we feel good that day, we say there's enough for the foreseeable future. And if we feel bad, we say there isn't. That's not a fair way. It's not an equitable way. And so moving to this is better. I I would note we're doing other things too. Water conservation, we use the same amount of water in our community now as we did 20 years ago, despite the fact there's a couple hundred thousand extra people. And and so we're we're working with it at all fronts, and I've been proud to be a part of that as chair of Colorado Springs Utilities and a a member of city council. The the water rule was something I had on my list I wanted to ask you about and everything. How was the 28 per 128% number arrived at? I mean, you hear when you when you hear both sides of this, the 128 is is sometimes described as pretty arbitrary. Like why not 115% that would allow more homes to be annexed in? I know it originally was at 130. How is that number derived? So, Colorado Springs Utilities staff 
analyzed it, and their recommendation was 130%. Okay. And what they're looking at, you're looking at really two impacts. One is possible curtailments, and then what's the time frame you need to obtain additional water supplies. It is not a quick process, whether it's obtaining the water or building a pipeline to deliver it uh, or securing the legal right to that water. All of that takes time, and in some cases, it takes 10 to 20 years to secure the water right and get the capacity to deliver it and perfect all of the legal rights that are necessary. So given that time frame, you can never be at the point where you say, oh, we've got just enough. Right? So you can't be at, at 100%. So, you know, which is kind of like if you run a bank account and you keep just barely enough and then an unexpected expense arises or a payment you were expecting to get comes in late, then you wind up bouncing checks and having other issues. And so you have to have that buffer. When you throw in then the Colorado River impacts, which could result in a significant curtailment to 70% of our water supply, you need a buffer. Does the world end if we don't follow utilities' recommendation of saying 130%? I don't think 128% is a bad rule. I preferred the 130 because that's what the experts in the area recommended, Kyle. But I think we're going to adopt a compromise that adopts it at 128%. If you get much lower than that, you do start running the risk that we could have a time when we don't have enough water. And I never want to be there. I never want to be in the position of having to go to someone and saying, no, you need to tear up that tree that you planted, that grass. That is not what we want to be in. Uh, We want to be in a situation where we have that buffer where we can address things. I would note, by the way, for short-term issues, we have reservoirs that provide a three-year supply to our community. Yeah. But we have to keep getting the water to replenish those. All of this led the staff at Colorado Springs Utilities, the experts in the water field, to say 130% is their recommendation. They've been very firm at that at council. They've also said if we adopt that compromise at 128%, that they can work with that and they can get us there. Okay. So you've had a long career in public service. You, you Local positions, the statewide office – what is something in your career? What's an accomplishment in your career that you're most proud of? There have been a number of them, and, and some of them are little, right? Like getting putting wait times for motor vehicle online so that everybody can see. Um, and that's actually a bigger deal. That's not a, that's not a small thing. I no, it, it's convenient. You can look. Is yeah. this a good day to go to the DMV or not? Some some things are simple like that. I, I think though, probably prevented a lot of road rage. <laughs> <laughs> well, it hopefully made it a better experience for people when they came. We are – there's a couple things that, that I think are absolutely critical for me, and one of those is the creation of the Pikes Peak RTA. Uh, when I was elected as a county commissioner, the biggest issue facing our community was transportation. Chamber of Commerce had done a survey. It was the number one issue cited by businesses, not taxes, not regulations. The fact that my plumber – in my business can't serve four people, he can only hit three because he's stuck in traffic for one of those. And, and it, Or I can't get to my kid's soccer game because I, I leave work and, and I'm stuck on, on the interstate. So the creation of the Pikes Peak RTA is unique because other places have tried it and failed. And so some of the things I've done, other folks have replicated. In this case, 
you know, the Fort Collins area looked at it, but it failed by one vote because they, the different squabbling cities couldn't reach everything, yeah. couldn't reach agreement. But we pulled together. I was working with then a mayor of Colorado Springs, Lionel Rivera, with a whole bunch of civic and community leaders, chamber, the United Way, folks in both parties. And we put something on the ballot and said, we're going to do this. And we're, we think we can address this with a specific list of projects. And we're going to be accountable to you, the voters. We're going to limit administration to no more than 1%. We're going to ensure there's a citizens advisory committee. And then we delivered on it. And so often promises are made in government that they're not delivered on. We intentionally, very intentionally, as the first RTA board, uh, Lyle and I, Lionel and I were the first two uh, heads of the RTA, and we set a pattern that we're going to make sure we hold everyone accountable so that when we went back to the voters eight years later and then just last year, we could say, here are the promises we made. Here's the evidence of the delivery. And the voters in this region, by an overwhelming majority, says, yes, we believe this has done what it's supposed to do, and it has helped provide significant transportation funding for our community that was absolutely critical because we haven't been getting what we need from the state or from the feds. And so we have to address things at a local level. There are other things that I think are also important, uh, making sure that we have uh, voter verifiable paper ballots and forensic risk limiting audits, which are things I did as Secretary of State led the Washington Post to call Colorado the safest state in America to vote, and then President Trump's Homeland Security advisor to hold up Colorado as the model for other states as to what to do. And you don't get President Trump's Homeland Security secretary, excuse me, not advisor, and the Washington Post to agree on a whole lot. <laughs> True. But, but my favorite letter of all, my favorite letter of all I ever got was – uh, when I was working as Secretary of State, I got a, a, a letter from the Animal Welfare League of the San Luis Valley. And you're always, you're never sure when someone sends a letter what it's going to say. And it started out, you know, we appreciate having things on the internet. And we did get, by the way, the, the Nonprofit Impact Award from the Colorado Nonprofit Association for our work there. But, but it starts out, but sometimes we have to call. And then I'm going, uh-oh. And when we do, your staff is, and this is the direct quote, invariably helpful and cheerful, close quote. And I relish that because I think of all the governments that I've interacted with over the years, how many of them would I describe the staff as invariably helpful and cheerful? And I'm proud of, of the fact that as an executive, and I'm the only person running for mayor who's been an elected executive before. Uh, that as an executive, I was able to deliver employees in an environment where they were excited to be at work, where they were doing a good job, where they were recognized for their contributions, and it carried through when they interacted with the public. And while that may not seem like you know millions of dollars for transportation projects or other things like that, it for me was a really important letter to get because it said we were doing things right for the citizens of our state. So, like in your position as Secretary of State, obviously other positions you've held, a lot of leadership positions. What's your leadership style? Uh, so first, <laughs> it is listening 
and getting input from others. And some of the reasons I've been very successful in the positions I've held is listening to the suggestions from the employees that work for me uh, and that work with me and from customers and citizens. It's seeking that input. As Secretary of State, I created the Bipartisan Election Advisory Committee uh, so that we would get input from people across the political spectrum. When we were choosing a a paper-based voting system, we got input from the parties, from the the disability advocacy community. We wanted to make sure we got everyone's input before we made a decision. Um, It's part of what we do. Right now, we're doing a series of utility town hall meetings we started last year. Um, And and so we're trying to get input from people in the community. So I want to get the input, but I also have the ability, and this is an important part of it, is ultimately to make a decision and then to take responsibility for the decision. Um, I back my employees. Um, Sometimes they make mistakes, but I take the ownership of that. I've done that with various issues over the years because ultimately you're responsible. And it's very different when you're an executive as opposed to a legislator. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of my friends who are running have served on county commissions and city councils, and, and I've done those. So I know there's a huge difference between being one of five or one of uh, nine or one of you know, whatever number and then being the one who actually has to make those tough decisions after getting that input, after getting that collaboration. But it's then also working together to implement that decision. Uh, and this is one of those areas where having that ability to reach out to people across the aisle. We had an issue with uh, a piece of legislation that was going through uh, the U.S. Senate. And there was a provision that favored uh, – investor-owned utilities over municipally-owned utilities. And it was just a little quirk in the language, but I was able to reach out to Senator Bennett to get that changed so that it affected, so that it gave that same ability to our community as it did to an investor-owned utility. And so whether it's little quirks in the legislation that you want to work on or other issues, it, it's part of working together. And I get criticized sometimes because I work with people on both sides of the aisle. I am an appointee of Governor Jared Polis on the Peace Officer Standard Training Board, where we follow the process to make sure that the people we trust to enforce the law will be people who will follow the law and that they have the training they need to do that. Uh, you know, I last night I was in in Denver uh, at the unveiling of the film documenting the Colorado Unify Challenge, a program I did with Attorney General Phil Weiser. Mm. And he and I were the co-chairs for Colorado. Uh, I've been criticized because I did a public service announcement with Secretary Jenna Griswold. Uh, Doesn't mean we agree on everything. I was pretty strong in some letters and and op-eds that I wrote in the Gazette and the uh, Sentinel in Grand Junct in Red Junction supporting Pam Anderson. But on certain things, we have to be willing to work together. And it's part of what's broken in D.C. is Mm -hmm. we're not doing that. And as a community here in Colorado Springs, we're different and we ought to be different. We ought to work together. And that history of working together to get things done for our community is what I want to continue to do as Colorado Springs next mayor. Good. Um, I think I know the answer to this next question because we worked on it together. But the 
tops initiative that's on the ballot for april are you supportive of that uh well i made the motion to put it on there so yes uh and i have been you know i I talked a little bit earlier on the program about working to get a thousand acres of open space and parks as a county commissioner which we did and which we've done during the time i've been on city council Uh, i support the renewal that's currently on the ballot as you and i worked together on prior tops campaigns uh, it is something that i do believe in um it is part of what makes this community spectacular. When I have a friend that comes to Colorado Springs for the first time, we're going to Garden of the Gods. Uh, now, if there's time, we might go up to the top of Pikes Peak. We might do some of the other exciting things in our community. The Olympic Museum, Widener Field, Ropes and Arena, all these things that we've gotten done over the last four years. But it's still the nat- the natural beauty of our community is a key part of what makes this different from other places. Yeah. So, w- when we were working on that issue, uh, when we went through that those series of meetings with the commission and everything, just trying to talk through everything, it ob- it became apparent. Obviously, tops isn't the be all and end all for funding parks. Obviously, the general fund provides a lot of money. There may be down the road other options for you know finding money to support parks but i think it's uh i i always forget the name of it but the report the parks department did that showed there's a 270 million dollar backlog and in needed repairs and maintenance and everything so back in about 2008 right before the big recession parks was about 8.4 percent of the budget now it's about 5.9 percent granted the total budget's considerably different but one of the things that can help with some of that is getting parks a little higher up in the percentage-wise of the overall budget. Would you be supportive of that, or how do you feel about the right now the current parks funding in the budget? Well, I, th- I think it's easy to, to ask about what intentions are. I, I want to talk about what we've done. We've actually increased parks, general, parks and forestry general fund budget by several million dollars during the time I've been on city council. So we have actually done that. We have increased funding for it. We've been willing to go to the voters. So we referred a parks uh, Tabor retention to the voters who agreed and who supported it. And we're just finishing up the Coleman Master Plan, Coleman Park Master Plan, which is on the Powers Corridor. Uh, We've done some improvements in our downtown parks. Uh, We replaced uh, the, the grass with artificial turf at Cottonwood Creek. All of those were part of those needed improvements that were done with specific voter approval. And so there's a multifaceted way we're going to have to address any type of backlog, and we have one, uh, both in terms of parkland that's not been developed and in terms of maintenance for the existing parks. Um, One of the things that I think is good in the current ballot issue uh, that's in front of the voters is it segregates money, but it does say if you're repairing a trail, you can repair the whole trail, not just the parks and not just the parts of the trail acquired through a tops purchase. Because the way it works now, if you as a good citizen donate a little section of trail and then we buy with tops money the next section of the trail, I can't maintain the part that you donated. I would have been better off in terms of maintenance if I'd had to buy it from you. And that's an absurd result, but that's the current standard. And so 
the new ballot issue that is, I think, widely supported across the, the I think so parks, trails, open space community allows that flexibility so that we're able to do it. Uh, it's more efficient to do it that way, and saving taxpayer money is a logical decision. Um, but we have to continue to balance it. So when you talk about what is the future hold in terms of percentages, it depends what the other needs are. And, and as a community, public safety always has to be number one. And we as a community have emphasized that. Uh, over half of our budgets going to police, fire, and public safety-related matters. Uh, and that's critical because for that, there is no alternative. You have to have someone who can respond to that fire, to that medical emergency, or to that 911 call for a police call. Um, so that's that's always going to be my top priority. Yeah. I have increased public safety funding, and I have increased uh, working with my colleagues on city council cause, and with the mayor, John Southers, because we always do this together. Um, and so when I say I, there is always a team that is part of that. Uh, but we have increased funding in those budgets for parks, uh, and we've done that by several million dollars during the time I've been on city council. Okay, good. We're going to – I need to cough, so we're <coughs> – sorry about that. Uh, yeah. That's what the risk I take taking a drink in the middle of it went down the wrong way. But. Well, I'm not making it very difficult on you because I'm answering long-winded answers. And, uh, no, that's good. That's – Again, I want people to get a feel for where you stand on the issues, you as a your personality, you as a candidate, all of that. So, no, I think that's been great. Um, I'm sorry to give you as much spotlight there, Kyle. Yeah, well. <laughs> the uh, um, okay, so I just I have a how long? How are we doing on time? We are 32 minutes. Oh, okay, we're good. Um, Any time. Can I go anytime? Can Mother, I may I? Are you are you talking to the producer? <laughs> Sorry, I can just you're just continuing to record. I can talk whenever I. You, you go whenever you're ready. Yeah, we're good. Okay. <laughs> Try not to ask such hard questions. <laughs> um, so, this past November, voters in Colorado Springs voted down recreational marijuana. Where were you on that issue? Uh, I was one of the members of city council who supported a resolution that opposed recreational marijuana. Okay. How come? What's your what's your feeling on the issue? There are a number of factors. Uh, first, uh, I believe that our economy has done very well uh, with the absence of recreational marijuana sales. And I think that's hard to argue with. Uh, I believe when I look at downtown Colorado Springs and compare it to downtown Denver, I like our community a lot better. And I think that the specific ballot issue had a number of serious flaws, including uh, creating a monopoly for those that owned certain shops now. So as opposed to some other way of allocating it, it was set up so that if you owned one now, then uh, you got additional money from recreational marijuana. And so it was kind of set up and was funded, frankly, by some of those who would benefit from that limited uh, supply. Um, I also believe that as I have visited with folks in D.C. at the Department of Defense, that one of the advantages we have, recognizing that recreational marijuana is legal and appropriate, 
It is not, however, legal under federal law. And mm -hmm. so that means that a, uh, a member of the armed forces can be discharged uh, from their position. Uh, and that's true also for some with certain security clearances. And so I think it has an impact as we fight for additional missions. I've been very supportive of the military bases in our community. Um, from my time as a county commissioner, when we got uh, funding for uh, Highway 16 intersection with Fort Carson and did improvements on 115 uh, to the current uh, MAMSA grant that is helping to fund access to Shriver, uh, all of that's critical for our community. You know, as a, as a commissioner, some of those open spaces we acquired were a buffer for Fort Carson, mm -hmm. working with the Nature Conservancy. And so we have... We are trying to do things that support the military. We at Colorado Springs Utilities have just reached an agreement with Fort Carson where we are taking over the maintenance of some of their utility lines. Um, and so as we do that, we want to continue to encourage military missions to locate in our community. Uh, and I think part of that helps, uh, at least in my discussions with folks at the Pentagon, it may not be part of the official position at all times, but retention of troops, retention of airmen, air, airwomen, of our guardians, all of that is critical. Um, but bottom line, the tax that was proposed did not provide enough uh, of a response for to support law enforcement, and it created a monopoly for those who were existing owners. I didn't think that was the right way to do it. Um, it is not something that uh, ultimately uh, I as mayor would support. Uh, I think you've got a pretty clear vote of the people of Colorado Springs. Yeah. And I think we we deal with that. Uh, I would note, by the way, that we do share in the, the revenue from this because the Pikes Peak RTA collects sales tax in Manitou Springs. Uh, and so those those folks who do choose to buy there are helping to fund the roads in our community. And so it's not like we are losing all of the revenue from that. And I look at, you know, the whole time I've been on city council, Kyle, we've hit our Tabor revenue cap every year. Yeah. So it's not like our economy is twisting in the wind. Uh, we're doing very well uh, with the that kind of middle-of-the-road approach that Colorado Springs has taken. Okay. Two... Two other issues. I've, I've lived here for 31 years. Two issues that I come up all the time um, over that time, off and on, um, you hear about affordable housing and homelessness. So in, in some ways they're related, but, uh, but in a lot of ways there's different solutions for each one of those. But again, it seems like right now those are kind of back up, uh, at least in the discussion a little bit more. What uh, what are kind of your ideas on maybe both of those issues? Sure. Uh, let me talk a little bit about what I've done and then talk yeah. about what I think we ought to do going forward. Uh, I moved here in 1992. In 1994, Bob Isaac asked me to serve on the Colorado Springs Housing Authority Board. So I got my start working in public affordable housing. That's the first government job position. It was a volunteer board uh, that I ever had. And I served on that for about a decade. I was appointed by uh, Bob Isaac, reappointed by Mary Lou Makepeace. Um, and we did some awesome things. We helped redevelop the southeast downtown area with Lowell School, where mm -hmm. it was a bat 
guano infested <laughs> derelict and now it's a thriving hub and it's helped the rest of that area redevelopment redevelop as well one of the other th- cool things we did is we worked with peterson then air force base uh now space force base but then it was an air force base and we worked with them to build creekside at norwood which was designed to provide affordable housing options off base for enlisted personnel so been involved in this area for a long time as for the last four years, a member of Colorado Springs City Council, we've done a couple critical things. One of those is we said, look, right now, certain people, if they build affordable housing, can qualify for uh, a sales tax exemption. Why not make it so whoever builds it can qualify for a sales tax exemption? Because if I'm looking for a home, I don't really care who built it. I'm just wondering if I have a place to live. And so we did that on city council. We also, I mentioned earlier in the program, we adopted a new water resource fee, which does add to the price of housing. And so we created a special fund to cover those costs of that water resource fee uh, for individuals who are for uh, projects that have an affordability component. It's a sliding scale based on how affordable it is. So those are some proactive things we've done in the time that I've served on city council and been chair of Colorado Springs Utilities. Um, as city council, we've also supported the mayor's initiative to try to add 1,000 affordable units every year, and we've done that. I want to continue to do that as Colorado Springs mayor because I think it's the right thing. We need a mix of housing in our community. My son is a computer programmer. He's the director of technology for a California company. He does it from Iowa, where his wife is a dentist. They came back to look at possibly moving here, and were shocked at the price of housing in our community. Uh, I've had friends at one of the hospitals who've related uh, instances in which people have not been able to find housing uh, and have had to turn down a position. The Chamber of Commerce lost a couple of their people they made offers to, right? So, yeah. so this is something that housing availability and afford- affordability affects all of our community, and it drives up the cost of everything else we do. If a business has to pay a certain amount in order to afford workers, it's got to pass that cost on to its customers. And so as a community, we need to continue to look for ways that we can support Uh, the creation of affordable housing and attainable housing for our workforce. I am not particularly interested in government building it. Uh, I am much more interested in working with nonprofit, private partners, uh, and and anyone who wants to be involved in that. And so we've tried to incentivize through appropriate ways that to take place. Um, On the homelessness issue, we are one of the few communities in America that during the last four years uh, that I've served on city council has actually had a decline in the number of unhoused homeless. Um, we've done a number of initiatives, uh, whether it's a sit-lie ordinance that stops people from sleeping in front of a business that's open, whether, whether it is working with Springs Rescue Mission to make sure that there are sufficient beds. Uh, all of those are critical aspects that we as a community have to do going forward. Uh, we do need to enforce our laws. It's one of the reasons why we have hot teams that have been very – our homeless outreach teams, sorry to use the acronym, uh, that work from the police force to try to help people make the correct decisions. Yeah. Um, there are folks who want assistance. And 
to move out of homelessness, and we need to work to make sure that's available. We've been doing that through various nonprofits and other organizations. There's some who don't want that assistance, uh, and we still need to make sure that our, we have a safe community and folks follow the laws and rules during that time frame, and we're working to do that in a proactive and positive way. Are there any other issues that we haven't touched on that are kind of on your radar that maybe aren't on the community's radar or whatever, or maybe they are, but is there anything we haven't talked about that you're interested in working on for the city? Well, as I pulled into your parking lot, I was looking out over the city. You've got a beautiful view up here on Communications Drive. And as we're looking out there and I see, you know, bridges that were built with the Pikes Peak RTA, uh, I worked with Lionel Rivera to go up and visit with Bill Owens to get funding for Cosmics, where we six-laned I-25. Uh, but I also see this thing called Drake Power Plant that's there. And when I ran for city council four years ago, uh, Drake was slated to close in 2035. Uh, I said during the campaign I would work for an earlier closure, and I delivered on that. Uh, as chair of Colorado Springs Utilities, I got to close that plant out last year. And uh, I think part of that is, a, is addressing what was a very inefficient plant. It was very costly to operate, to replacing it with natural gas that was actually cheaper and more adaptable. You're old enough, you probably remember charcoal grill. It takes a long time to get that charcoal or the coal up to the right power and in a fluctuating power demand, it was not very efficient and required a lot of people to operate. Replacing it with gas turbines has been a much better opportunity. It's been a lower cost option. Um, but it also provides better entrance to our city. Uh, yeah. That is not, you know, 97, I guess 98 years ago when Drake was built, it was a great entrance to, we have power here. Come. Yeah, you know, it was we, the edge of town. We got electricity here. Um <laughs> But that's not the case anymore, yeah. and uh, we have done a number of steps to try to make um, our utilities more responsive. Uh, some of it is, frankly, required by state laws that have changed. Um, but I did say I would try to do that. I would try to cut that closing time from 2035, and I delivered on it. Um, and I think that's part of what you're you're looking at in a mayor is – Everyone can make promises. What have they actually done with the promises they've made in the past? And that's one of the reasons I'm proud to have the record that I do where I have delivered on better customer service, uh, delivered on transportation and roads, delivered on parks and open space, uh, delivered on an earlier closure of Drake um, for economic, environmental, and economic development reasons, all of which uh, that's going to all of which supported that decision. There were some who opposed it. There were some who wanted it shut down immediately. I chose, in working with my colleagues and getting input from folks across the community, a path that allowed us to close it but do it in a fiscally responsible way. So what's coming up on the campaign? If, I, if listeners or voters wanted an opportunity to learn more about you or meet you or whatever, what do you have coming up? So there are... Half, well, I don't know how many forums. There's Four, a bunch of them. 14 the last we heard. 
14 different forums. And, and frankly, Kyle, a lot of those are going to be a very different from the conversation that you're having with <laughs> the candidates because you're going to have a dozen candidates, each of whom speak for a minute with respect to five or six questions. And so during the course of the actual forum, you'll hear about six minutes from each candidate <laughs> or something along that lines, right? It's just the way the math works when you've got a dozen candidates running. Yeah. And so there's a number of forums. Uh, my website is winwithwayne.org, uh, so you can go to winwithwayne.org and get some more information. Uh, and and there's even ways on my website because it's still there to you get to old websites, so you can say, "Well, did he actually do what he said?" <laughs> um, because I don't hide what I've done in the past because I'm proud of what I've done. I'm proud of the promises. I, I don't look at what I've done and say oh my gosh, I wish I'd never promised that. I, I, when I say I'm going to do things, I try to find a way to get things done. It doesn't always mean it's going to be easy, um, but that's one of the ways. Go to the website. You can also, of course, attend any of the forums. Some of those are going to be broadcast. Some will be streamed. Um, and it'll give you a chance to get a feel for it. But I think the most important thing people can do is look at actual records of what people have done in the past. Um, and I know the f financial networks, when they do their ads, always say, past results are no indication of future performance, right? That's what they always say. But when it comes to people running for elected office, will they deliver on what they promise? Will they get things done? Will they continue to lead yeah. this community forward, I think, is an absolutely critical part of it. Good. Well, thank you for being here. I've enjoyed talking. This has been great. Kyle, thanks for your opportunity. Thanks for your work in the community as well uh, on some of those TOPS initiatives and others. I know you've been involved in a number of different things over the years and uh, appreciate you doing this a little more in-depth uh, discussions than some of the other forums will provide. So thank you, sir. You bet. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast. This program is brought to you by Avant Strategies. Special thank you to producer Ted Robertson for help putting this program together. If you're interested in partnering with COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast, you can reach out to me at kyle at avantstrategiesllc.com.